Welcome to the Allies Podcast. I'm your host, Carmen Farino. Hi, this is Carmen Farino, and welcome to another edition of the Allies Podcast. Uh, with me today are Andrew Andy Popper and Hanson Yu. So Andy uh, has a background in publishing and uh, several different degrees in economics and English and history, I believe. And Hansen uh, has a deep background in history and is uh, doing a lot of work in IT right now. But what I find interesting about both of you um, is that you have an amazing command of history and how to apply it to today. So welcome to the podcast, both of you. Well, hello. I, I really, uh, <laughs> I, I don't believe I actually match up to Andy <laughs> in regards to that. <laughs> uh, so uh, I don't want to be embarrassed here. By, uh, well, look, but, uh, of the three of uh, us, only one quiz, of us has right? been on, uh, well, there will at the end, uh, but only one <laughs> of us has been on Jeopardy. Is there involved? Because uh, I'm pretty good at those. Well, it's, it's more just drawing an elephant. Um, okay. But yes, this is exactly the problem with you two, is that um, you have an amazing... Uh, amazingly uh quick ability to reference things and uh and i think that's one of the reasons why i wanted both of you on at the same time um i've known you for 30 plus years um but i want to i want to talk i want to go back and forth about your backgrounds hansen you were um your family is from south korea and you were born in south korea but how did you get here well my my dad uh you know he wanted to go to the united states but uh um so uh his company had a posting in Canada. So it was like close enough. So he packed us up. And uh, when I was three, we moved to Canada. And then uh, when I was like five years later, after I got my citizenship, uh, something did open up in New Jersey. So uh, we ended up uh, packing up again and moving to the United States when I was like uh, nine. And so, you know, for, for many years, people would say, hey, when, when did you move to the United States? And I would say, last year. <laughs> and they were amazed by my lack of any accent while I was speaking. So <laughs> I had to eventually just amend it and say, I moved to Canada <laughs> this many years ago because it was, it was like kind of uh, uh, embarrassing to uh, hear people gushing about how great my language skills were. And I was like, no, 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 no. No, 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 you got the wrong idea. So well, uh, that's also, the reason why I end up here. Well, you, but you also have a, you have a Dutch last name as your first name, which... Dutch or Swedish. Also, or Swedish, yeah. that's true, yes. <laughs> um, so um, how did that happen? That was my, uh, my, my uncle. When we moved to Canada, uh, we actually lived in very close uh, proximity to my uncle. To, it was my mother's uh, sister's brother. And so he was uh, telling my mother that, you know, uh, some Korean names are hard to pronounce and people won't remember them. So you should give them something, you know, that's that's more, you know, like a English, like an anglicized version. Yeah. So uh, he came up with Hanson uh, and then he came up. I don't know if he came up for my sister or something. And uh, my father um, uh, didn't like it. So he so she became Susan. So she could go to uh, like Disneyland and get a personalized pen or whatnot. And I, you I never could get not. That. It's never, I never, happen. never ever. <laughs> no, I, I have to. You know, nowadays you could like mail order and they will make it for you. But uh, no, at the time, no, nothing. I never had to personalize anything. And when I was like seven, I, I decided to to change my name to Richard because I could at least find things. And I bought a bunch of. We went to like an amusement park or something, and I I bought like three different personalized things that said Richard on them, just so I could have something. Uh, but wow. that did not last very long. It didn't, it didn't <laughs> stick. And, and, did not and, stick. I have no idea uh, why. It, was, it might have been because I liked Rich Little. I'm not sure. But uh, well, I mean, who that doesn't? was that was how that happened. Well, and and Andy, you um, you're a first generation. Uh, U.S. citizen as well, but your your family has um, a, a slightly different, maybe a little bit more dramatic uh, journey here. So, can you give us a maybe a, a somewhat abbreviated version of of that fascinating story? Sure. Um, my uh, parents were both Hungarian. 
uh, in Budapest, and my father was a. <clears throat> they had been dating for for a while, and my father um, was actually targeted during the Hungarian uprising by by the Communist Party, and but he had been an editor on a paper, co-editor with his cousin and best friend, hmm. and his cousin got executed. And um, while they were doing the rounding up in in the fifty six uprising, uh, my father and his brother uh, escaped. They they by foot uh, they went to Austria, and uh, then then uh, Switzerland and London and came to the U.S. And um, he went to MIT and and. Uh, Got his graduate degree and, and he, he was a PhD there and, and then went to the, uh, University of Vienna for his postdoc and, uh, worked it out so that my mother, this was six years later, my mother and his mother, uh, both, uh, were able to escape. Well, I mean, I, I think the, the, the idea that you're a first generation American and that each of you has very unique kind of journeys here, it, I think is fascinating given where we are now. So I want to want to talk about that a little bit. Um, it seems like we're kind of at an inflection point here for the country and kind of lines are being drawn in terms of how people view the current administration, how they view people's rights. So usually when you when you think about people who are first generation, they have a they have a certain view of America. So I, uh, Hanson, I want to ask you, what was your view of America and, and, and what is it now? Um, you know, has it, has it changed over time? Did it, did it meet kind of what your, what your thoughts were as you were growing up? Well, I, I must say, you know, when I, when I, for me, like America was uh, uh, much, much, much better TV programming uh, <laughs> than, than what I was getting. Uh, there was nothing more exciting than I don't know why on Thanksgiving they would show like uh, the ABC affiliate from New York. Uh, I'm not really sure why. So I would stay home and watch TV all day because <laughs> all the American shows. Um, so uh, there was definitely this, you know, and, and you know, my father was wanted to move to the United States, so there was definitely this feeling like you know this was definitely a step up, and mm-hmm. one of the. One of the things when I came here, I mean, there are, uh, you know, surprisingly, you know, a lot more uh, Asians in the United States, uh, and, you know, at least around New Jersey than there were where, where we were living in Canada, uh, mm-hmm. where like our, we had like a, there were a couple of friends, the family, I think uh, they worked at my dad's company and then my, my uh, uncle and aunt, but then they moved to uh, Cincinnati at one point. So mm-hmm. we were we didn't really have a lot of people around. I just really played with the kids in the neighborhood who were all white. Uh, my school was, uh, it was, I was like, it was lily white except for me. And there was an African-American kid. And then that was, yeah. and the whole school was white. So, you know, coming to New Jersey, uh, you know, I walked in my class and at the time, you know, I, I, I moved to Fort Lee originally. And at the time there was this, uh, there was this thing that a lot of Japanese companies did where they had like rotations in the United States. So they forced their employees to live in the U S for like five years. So they would bring their kids and everything. So there were like a lot of Japanese kids in my class, you know, (laughs) weirdly enough. Uh, But then we would say goodbye to them like two or three years later because they would go, they would leave. But there was actually one point where I, I like Fort Lee, like in the in the somewhere in the mid seventies or late seventies, had like the largest largest uh, uh, Japanese per capita outside of Japan or something like that. It was really wow. weird. Uh, there was actually a Japanese food store in Fort Lee to serve that uh, <laughs> whole community. I mean, it was it was pretty big. So uh, and then and then you know I don't know if you know Fort Lee these days, but yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it is very very Korean right now. Yeah, uh, but um, you know, so so things were you know different that way uh, because I I do remember distinctly uh, when I was in Canada, uh, the the kids were all white and mostly very racist. So it yeah. was uh, 
it was very different here. They weren't nearly as racist uh, to my mm-hmm. face. Uh, also, they would get in trouble, which they didn't get in trouble in Canada. <laughs> they don't even <really laughs> care. Also, they said racist things to me in French, which I didn't fully understand. But I knew it was racist just by, by the tone of their voice. So yeah, you can tell. It was, uh, yeah, you could tell. You can tell. So it was definitely, you know, a lot less, um, you know, I, I felt uh, uh, that it was, it, was, it was a better environment for me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, uh, you know I, I made a lot of friends. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's where I live now. Um, yeah. And, you know, for good or bad at this point in time. But I, I have to say, you know, uh, I, I don't really ever entertain thoughts of, of not even just moving to another country, but just moving from this area. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you, I know you're outside of Philadelphia, but I'm outside of New York. And, you know, I, I work uh, I work in New York occasionally. You know, we have an office there. So I go there frequently. And I, I got to say, you know, it's it's just nothing like, you know, being in this on the East Coast C- and, you know, center of the everything's universe. here. It's the center yeah. of the universe, yes. It is. I mean, I, I think that's, is, that's, that's a fair statement that if you have the opportunity across the span of history to be in or near a city that is kind of the locus of, of everything that's happening, you'd kind of want to be there. I could see that. Yes. It's, I mean, I, you know, it, it's, it's definitely for me, um, sometimes I'm, I'm in the city, you know, I'm walking to my office and doing something and I, I'm just kind of like, I still to this day, I just kind of think, wow, I can't believe this is New York. This is like pe- people, you know, around the world, around the country, you know, they're like, oh man, New York, I- I'd love to be in New York. It's, you know, it's a London or a Paris, uh, you know, yeah. it's a place, you know, people aspire to be. And then I'm just like walking and it's just, I'm going to work. It's no big deal, you know, but it is a big yeah. deal. It is, it is a big deal. And, and I, and I, and I, you know, I fully uh, embrace that. It's a big deal. Well, I mean, Andy, I think you, you, you seem to have the same kind of love and appreciation for, for New York, but you, you must've grown up kind of with a, with a view from your parents that America was a, was a unique place, was a special place. And how, how did that affect you? Uh, you know, it's absolutely true. And, and my parents had, uh, when, when, uh, I was, a child, they would never speak Hungarian. They would always want to speak English. Uh, they would always, you know, they thought it was important to to make sure that that uh, English was the first language in the mm-hmm. house. And and in fact, to the point where uh, my mother's friends would get irritated, who were hung, uh, those who were Hungarian would get irritated. Why don't uh, Why don't your kids speak Hungarian? <laughs> and and. Uh, she would say, oh, "We don't want them to speak Hungarian, and we want to learn English." And and so it was important to them. And uh, you know, my father was always. It was unusual for people who escaped from a communist country um, at that time to uh, be as progressive-minded as mm. my parents were, and. Um, particularly my father and and like like if you go to new brunswick where we all went to college Mm -hmm. um in new brunswick that has a huge hungarian community huge by new brunswick standards uh but uh that's because that's where everybody from 56 landed they had Mm -hmm. uh davidson hall what is now davidson hall Mm -hmm. uh is where the fbi would would interrogate uh, all the people that came in and then they ended up landing there. But if you go in, in New Brunswick, people would take a, uh, a lot of these Hungarians would take a very right wing attitude. And, and that's in response to the communist uh, regime that they were fleeing. So they went to the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's similar to the Cubans. Yeah. yeah you see that in Florida with all the, you know, the Cuban Americans as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're very, you know, very Republican right wing uh because of the leftist government that you know in cuba so yeah but my parents didn't take that tack. why do you think they didn't andy why do you think that they they decided to to be very progressive and to kind of seek that maybe what was then a very unusual middle ground as intellectuals 
I think that there was a bit of intellectualism in there. Uh, my, you know, my father was extremely well read, and so he would, uh, you know, you know, I don't want to make it sound like if you if you're conservative, you can't be a deep thinker. But he was a pretty deep thinker, and and also, let's face it, they lived through Nazism too. Sure. Uh, so so um, and in fact, my grandfather actually uh, got executed by the Nazis, and so um, you know, I think that they lived through both sides of the whole thing. But I can't really say why uh, my father uh, and and my mother. Uh, turned as progressive as they did they came in in 62 during kennedy and and in term uh, coming back from vienna mm. um and so you know i think that they had a pretty uh reasonable attitude they went to roman haas and then uh then to sharing plow got into pharmaceutical industry really quickly and did well mm. and so they didn't have any longing grievances that yeah. that i think happens to a lot of people who are more on the right when they mm -hmm. uh come out and and that deep hatred for castro or whatever it is um that that you know lives with you for a very long time well i i, I kind of want to i want to frame that because you know your both of your parents came to america at times when they saw a very distinct opportunity to be here and it feels to me like we are we are in a process of significant change right now. And I want to get your opinion on that. Um, why do you think this is in particular, maybe I'll, I'll aim it at Hanson first, why do you think this is particularly a volatile time for the US, uh, especially as it as it relates to race relations and um, and kind of the, the the tenor of the dialogue in politics? Well, I mean, clearly there's a there's a lot of uh, polarization, and so that's you know I think that's part of it. I think I think too there's a there's you know I I, I guess there was like a, a perfect storm where you know you have uh, administration that is uh, uh, you know uh, so you know outwardly uh, you know. Uh, a white supremacist administration and they uh and this was captured very clearly on camera and the situation you know any any kind of excuse that they would give i mean even the, when eric gardner was you know also uh you know uh, said he couldn't breathe but you know people were trying to make it like he was resisting or but this was a, a mm -hmm. situation where you know he was not doing anything and he was very clearly just being murdered and mm -hmm. so i think that that really sparked a lot of it i think it was just the uh you know that that video is so visceral that video uh really there's no excuse I and mean, when you have rush limbaugh saying that you know this this guy was murdered i mean i i think i think you've crossed some boundary and that's mm. uh you know that's part of it and i think there's a lot of uh simmering anger from you know uh three years of of an administration that has been basically doing everything they can to disenfranchise as many people as possible and and then just like roll all the wealth to a very select few individuals and and you know that's another uh that that's been ongoing and you know uh you could say that's a process that's been going on for decades and it was happening under Obama as well I, mm -hmm. maybe Maybe there was a little, you know, uh, it was, it was, I, I, you know, there were, I think some people did look up to Obama to say what's going on with Eric Garner. And, you know, he was, uh, he was uh, politically unable to state his mind because there was so much, you know, blowback. And uh -huh. uh, I think this time, you know, clearly the president, uh, he, I don't even know. I, I I don't even remember. Did he even stake a position on this? I, I, I can't even remember what he said. No, I mean, I think uh, he was but, quiet for a very long time. And I think that, you know, as he came out, you know, he made some sort of blanket statements that it was, you know, it was a bad situation. Um, right. But 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 I think that the the structure of this that you that you kind of framed out, 
whether it is disenfranchisement because of um, race or whether it is um, because of income inequality. Um, do those two things, you know, maybe I'll ask this for Andy, do those two, those two drivers, um, are, is that what's behind this level of disruption and, uh, and conflict? You know, I don't know. I think, um, I think that there's a tremendous amount of grievance. Um, and, and I think that something that, that was different this time than other times. I mean, obviously we had COVID going on as well, mm -hmm. which was sort of a pressure cooker for, for everything and just everything that the Trump administration seems to do, which is to try to create conflict, mm -hmm. um, as a, as a disrupt. I mean, he, he calls himself a disruptor and, and, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I think that all that stuff, but then also grievance amongst whites. I think that there were, if I talk to, to, um, conservatives about, uh, the current situation, they're all, I think that they're a bit shocked by how many, uh, white people, and I think it's a majority of white people are very much on the, um, pro black lives matter at this point. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge change. I mean, if you think about five, six years ago, when uh, at the time of Eric Garner, also Michael Brown and, and yeah. a lot of these, uh, different things, most white people were not. And, and it may have even been, I, I'd have to check the polls, but, but maybe not even the majority of black people were, Mm -hmm. uh pro black lives matter but that has that's a stunning change and i think that a lot of conservatives just can't uh, they they every time it's so transactional and such a, a zero sum game that if something rises in one direction then you must turn in the opposite direction mm -hmm. and and it's um it's very tribal well, tribal is interesting, right? That's the difference between patriotism and nationalism, and 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 diving into that. But there's there's also issues around um, the minority majority, um, and the role of you know white man in society and their kind of uh, kind of ability to to drive an agenda. Um, but I want to I want to come back to something to you, Hanson, um, because I know that <laughs> you you have an affinity for uh, sports and entertainment, and this may be the first time in human history, at least modern human history, when there's no sports, and that that's got to be a unique situation. Do you think that's actually had an impact? Uh, I. I'm not sure. I mean, it's really, you know, uh, it was really like baseball and, and I, I don't know, I don't know what the, uh, African American audience is for baseball. Uh, so I, I guess basketball, I don't know. I, I, I'm not really sure, but, you know, going back to something Andy was saying, yeah, I think that, you know, that, that video and everything was enough to open a lot of white people's eyes. and. The, the the number of white people who, you know, like as Andy pointed out, so many white people support Black Lives Matter now because now they 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 can see that police brutality is a real thing. I, I remember the yeah. Michael Brown thing. They they even the media was like throw any you know they were kind of like trying to justify. They were really trying to justify what the cops were doing. And I think there's a yeah. there was an attitude. You know, back then that it's like, you know, if you don't listen to a cop, this is what happens. And mm -hmm. of course, no one should be killed because they didn't listen to somebody and yeah. they weren't, they didn't do something. They just simply didn't listen to them. And uh, I, you know, I think now people realize that, you know, the, the disproportionate response that police have and, you know, that no one should be killed just because they didn't listen to you. No one should be killed for, you know, something that's in no way violent. 
you know, no, but I want accused- to, yeah, I want to go back to the idea of listening. Cause that's what, that was my point with the, with the sports is that if you're, if you're distracted, right. If you've got entertainment, if you can go out, if you can go to a bar, if you can, you know, travel, if you can, you know, watch Sunday football or, or baseball, et cetera, you've got other things in your life. We took that away. People are sitting at home, they're watching TV and these events are happening and they're being covered. And you have, yes. it's almost like the 1950s where you've got the majority of the population watching the same things because there's limited content. Yes, I hear you. And that to me, I think elevates the the ability to affect massive change because the media platforms are not as diverse. And so that's the piece that when I look at a perfect storm, if you take blatant, you know, as Will Smith said, right, you know, it's not that the racism wasn't happening. We just taped it. We can tape it now. Mm -hmm. Um, The fact that you can see it and it can't be denied and people have to acknowledge it, coupled with the, the idea that there is there was for eight years a progressive black man in the White House succeeded by a man who basically ran on the platform of unwinding what he did. Is this as big a shift as we saw in the 60s? Is it something different? And maybe I'll, I'll throw this to the to Andy um, with you know some of your ability to reference things that you've read. Um, do you see this as that type of pivot or inflection point? Well, it certainly feels like 1968 in in a lot of ways. I, I think, you know, in terms of how tense things are in the population, you know, it just feels, um, as I said before, it's a, very much a powder keg. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm not sure what I, you know, I had never thought about the sports issue as being um, too influential in in this i don't i don't completely agree that that um that media platforms are are very limited unfortunately everybody's got their own shade on on Mm -hmm. the same story and and you can pretty much find whatever your your view is whether it's crazy um or on on or whatever you you can find some sort of way to hear an echo chamber in a way that you've never been able uh, to hear before, and I think that that just increases that polarization. Um, I mean, I think I think Carmen is getting at the, the 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 fact that there are you know with the with everybody being quarantined that there was a lack of distractions there weren't any sports there weren't any bars to go to you know the restaurants even like uh, you know what do you do with tinder i mean you can't meet anybody so you yeah. then have all your attention towards this there aren't a lot of other things to do and so these protests now are that one avenue of i want to get the hell out of my house and do something and so you know, I, I can see how how this was part of the perfect storm. You know, this situation. Maybe if we didn't have COVID nineteen and this was just something in the news, but it it sort of like became like bigger, and it kept getting bigger because then it was covered. So then it got joined in, and then it just got bigger and bigger. So, um, you know, I I I don't know if it's sports. In and of itself, but yes, absolutely. There's this kind of like there's a sort of a focus on on you know we're all looking at the same thing. I mean we we do, we haven't had the situation long. Everything is so fractured. Everyone's pursuing their own you know entertainments and distractions, and you know having a lot of those avenues shut down. All of a sudden, yeah, this is crystallized in focus because there's not a lot of other things to to uh, to look at. So I think that that was definitely you know, part of, part of everything that was happening. And maybe, maybe this doesn't become this if, if not for that. Mm-hmm. Plus Good don't idea. forget that uh, 20 to 40 million people lost their jobs or got furloughed yeah. and were, were stuck at home in during all this uh, situation. 
and and so lost their their compensation, lost their health care, all these mm-hmm. types of things, and so it just keeps on brewing and brewing. Um, and I think uh, you know, for the most part, it was you know you start to think sort of natural that this happened, and yeah. uh, and um, you know it's a it's it feels a bit crazy but everything feels crazy today well yeah and and <clears throat> so that's why i look at it as a as a generational pivot and one of the reasons why i did this podcast is one i'm home i have the time um the second <laughs> is that i think it's very easy to slip inside your bubble it's very hard to reach out and look at diverse points of view and i and i want to kind of push you on that a little bit because um, when you talk to people who have a very different point of view, and let's take something like misinformation, let's take fake the, the concept of fake news. There are graphics that you can use from fact check, you know, that you can share with people. You can have deep discussions. You can go on Facebook. You can, you know, tweet about it. Um, but, but there's a divide. And there is a willingness to disregard fact. How does that play into this? Because you're right, the ability to stay inside that bubble is is here and it's difficult. But at some point, how do we crack out of that? How do we teach people to be kind of critical consumers of information? I'm going to ask Hansen kind of first about how do you how do you do that with your kids? How do you frame it up? Uh, you know, we, I, I really feel like these are, some of these things are intractable. You know, people believe what they want to believe. It's just the psychology of uh, contrarianism. They're just some people who simply, uh, you know, maybe it's a Dunning-Kruger thing where they really think they're so smart, but they aren't. And, you know, they want to show everybody. And this is like a Donald Trump thing. You know, I want to show you people that I actually know what's going on. And, you know, one way to do that is to then promote some crazy belief and then act like everybody, everyone else doesn't know what they're talking about. And so, you know, I think it's amplified because of social media, but there's always been crackpots. I mean, there's everybody in my family, you know, in my office, there's always some crackpot somewhere. We had a, Mm a receptionist who, you know, sent an email to, Dot everyone, uh, some Obama conspiracy that she thought was so reasonable, she decided she had to pass it on to everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so it's just, I, I don't know why she thinks that there's no way to get her out of it because the real problem is if you try to convince somebody that they're wrong, they will actually entrench their position and not listen to anything you're saying. So it it's kind of, like I said, it's intractable. I don't even know how to convince somebody uh, about science when when they actively don't believe in it. Well, how about you, Andy? I mean, how do you, have you have you ever convinced anybody, Andy? Have you ever been able to to use logic and reason and or um, your version of facts? Um, you know, I I my version of facts. <laughs> Are there really versions of facts? I didn't know that there is. No, there's not. But that's what um, but uh, you know the. Um, I don't know whether I've I've been able to convince people. I think I think people tell uh, certain people will tell me that I convince them, but on the other hand, I sort of wonder whether they're just giving me lip service. I mm. do think that that Hansen's entirely right in, about the intractable nature of the whole thing, and and I find that I will um, I probably more than then perhaps sometimes I should try to think about how exactly these people are thinking about things mm-hmm. and you know what what is making them them um, think a, in a particular way and and also try to uh, perhaps I would show a little empathy for that that view there are cer- certain times when I just feel like I you know, that that I feel like they are reacting to an assumption that all of us liberals and all those intellectual elites 
uh, are putting them down, thinking extremely little about them, and this is their revenge. Mm-hmm. And and I just you know it's uh, very hard to to try to reach in, and then you just stop uh, trying after a while. And and uh, but you know I, well, I think I, go ahead. I, no, I want to lay that out because I think that the the stop trying part is is interesting because I'm I'm the son of a blue collar guy who exceeded a lot of his expectations. Neither of my parents graduated from high school. So um, when I look at this and I think they about being, juvie, right? Yeah, no, they, uh, they, they just <laughs> left. They got jobs. Uh, Join the army. Um, no, but honestly, my mom grew up in Alaska. And if you chose not to go to school, nobody was really stopping you. So at 16, you become a waitress and that's fine. Done. You're making money. Um, but when you when you take a step back and you look at a you know a white blue collar man who started out in the eighties and thought he would make you know uh, have an impact or maybe make more money than his parents did and maybe lost a lot in the Great Recession and is losing more now and doesn't know how to retire and maybe doesn't have a pension um, and then they see this shift is it that they they feel like they've they were born at the wrong time that they missed the opportunity and is that what you know we're seeing because a lot of you know i i just find it fascinating every time i I look at rallies and i see you know these uh, it's almost a very particular type that you see there um is that kind of the shift in 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 the american dream is it is it you know just frustration at that no i i mean i I think it's it's the parents in their environment and you know it can extend to an online environment you know you can go into a chat room and talk to people with that are like-minded but you know these are these are kind of almost a religious zeal or like a religious zeal i mean you're Mm. not going to convince somebody who believes in god you know that god doesn't exist because even if you have every reasonable, you know, ant, you know, response to them, they have practiced, and this is what they learned. They were indoctrinated. They practice their comeback to any argument, and this is how anything, you know, in religion or I watched this documentary about uh, creationists, um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, who who built this uh, uh, giant ark, and. You know, they were indoctrinating their children. They said, what do you say when someone says this? You say this. You know, mm-hmm. one of the responses millions of years ago, were you there? They respond. And, you know, they don't even know what they're saying. They don't even know what they're hearing. They just know this is what I say back. And this is the same thing that, you know, white supremacists do. This is the same thing that, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the, you know, those people with tiki torches, they, they have canned responses for everything. If you say anything about, um, you know, this this idea, this dumb idea of of race or or what is whiteness or anything like that, they have canned responses, and you know some of these responses don't even make any sense. But they don't care because that's not the that's not really they're not trying to they're only convincing themselves. They're not convincing you, and so they congregate. And one of the you know things right now is that that they congregate online. A lot of these people who you know, pull off domestic terror incidents, uh, you know, they've all been in various different, you know, online groups where they talk to like-minded people, and uh, so that's kind of the breeding ground right now for this. Since maybe maybe you can't find a community of, uh, you know, white supremacists in your area, but you can go online and and talk to them. I mean, Dylan Roof mm-hmm. was online. Uh, the guy who uh, shot up the mosque in, well, there's so many of those. They were all yeah. online. So, well, and, and, the, and, the, just, and the Pizzagate one. I mean, there's a great documentary the, out about yeah. the Pizzagate guy showing up and, and really honestly couldn't find the basement where, you know, the. <laughs> no. See, no, he couldn't it find was, the basement. No, there was, it was, uh, there was, there was, there's clearly, it's all made up and none of it makes sense. I mean, it was like, uh, sort of like, uh, uh, you know, 
I don't know if you remember the McMartin trial, uh, where I mean there were there were stories about some kind of crazy like child sacrifices and this and that. It's like, hey, none of this makes any sense, but they were trying to prosecute them. You know, uh, until, until finally, I want to ask you about that. I want to, I want to ask you about the people in power, the people that have access to the microphones that have the media, do they believe this or is this a a method of gaining power and exercising power? You know, does Trump believe this? Do you, do you see people who are, who are, you know, uh, hosting these, these types of, uh, you know, info wars types of things, do they believe the conspiracies that they're pushing? I mean, it's hard for me to talk about Trump because there's some there are just parts of them that are uh, that he's so transactional and he's so, uh, uh, you know, just shameless <laughs> that I, I can't tell if he believes. I'm I'm pretty sure he's a white supremacist, but I don't know if he believes or even comprehends all the theories that these various groups believe in. But I, I have to wonder, like Tucker Carlson, uh, Laura Ingram, uh, Rush Limbaugh, uh, Sean Hannity. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if this is an act. Or a business model. For numerous times, basically arguing that Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson is entertainment and they're not really news. So they're not subject to certain, you know, certain uh, uh, laws. Uh, so regarding, I, don't know, I think it was like for, for libel or whatever. And so it's mm-hmm. like, it's crazy. So Fox News isn't even really news. They're, they're like, oh, well. We have like a Chris Wallace, uh, and they used to have Shepard Smith, but you know maybe that's the news part. But the rest is really, you know, just actors essentially. But you know, mm-hmm. at the same time, it, you know, you you saw you you heard what with uh, Tucker Carlson, his head writer, turned out he yeah. would hang out online and post things that were racist and sexist, and you know he wrote most of what Tucker Carlson was saying, and you know. I, you know, there's some, there's some part where, you know, you maybe, maybe it's a bit of a, 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 an act, but you know, you can convince yourself. I mean, you're never more genuine than when you believe what you're saying. Right. So, you know, Mm -hmm. in the process of them being good at doing this, they've sort of bought into it. Right. I, I, I I can only presume uh, that once you you face sincerity, you can do anything. Right. (laughs) So they're not, they're not, they're, I don't know how they stepped into it, but yeah, they're they're headlong into it, and you know, white white supremacy is good for them. It's 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 their business, and so they're not going to deviate from that, even if they don't believe it. I I do think you know, there's probably a lot of people at Fox News who just kind of think I I feel very dirty working here, mm-hmm. but uh, um, you know, uh, the the honor talent seems to be headlong into it. They, I think yeah. a lot of them are so dumb, it's, it's hard to believe that they're acting, you know, because okay. it, it's, you know, you have to be kind of have some sort of innate intelligence to to say, I, I'm really this, but I'm presenting myself like this. I mean, they're clearly too dumb. Like Sean Hannity is rock solid stupid. So I, I can't imagine he has the wits necessary to actually have his own private persona. And then this is his on air persona. I mean, he's He's, he, whatever he's saying, that's what he's saying. I, well, what, I, I don't. What What about you, Andy? Do you see the same thing? Do you think that's that's what's going on? That it's uh, you know they've populated this with people who um, who maybe aren't very smart, but they're good at what they do. Or do you think um, that there's something different going on? I think that uh, I definitely think that it's a business model, and mm. they know that outrage sells, and so they're whole thing is let's gin up the outrage and and gin up the grievance and it'll get people to go i remember when bill o'reilly lost his job mm-hmm. and everybody said oh they're never going to be able to really replace him because he's such a superpower uh in terms of uh the how much of the old white people would watch his show and and Carlson comes in, and he's overtaken where where yeah. O'Reilly was. It's, it's definitely it's a, a hold my beer moment. I mean, yeah, it is not really important who it is anymore. It's a give me the script, and I'm going to work with it. 
And, you know, I think, I think it's all about that grievance, pushing, uh, pushing that grievance and, and, uh, how do I get more of it? And, and so, um, it's, it's repulsive. So I want to I want to read a um a quote by um Andy Borowitz and and it may be apocryphal I don't know because it's on the internet but it says stopping Trump is a short term solution the long term solution and it'll be more difficult is fixing the educational system that's created so many ignorant people so is that it is is this the you know is it an idiocracy that we're 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 creating do we need to teach you know the ability to sort facts to children. Wow, you know there are multiple. Sorry, sorry, Andy. Why don't you? No, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. ahead. No, there there are there are many. Yeah, there are many school districts that you know they really want to teach about Bible stuff in their schools and creationism in their science classes, and yeah, this is this is not helping at all. You know, Um, and. Well, I always uh, feel bad for those people. I feel bad for the biology major that went to the Christian school and then goes to a university and stands up and says this in a biology class. And the professor well, has to unwind that or not. Yeah, I mean, I don't, this is what I'm saying. I, mean, I don't. There are people on school boards and a lot of people on school boards aren't even educators. So, this, you know, and then there are those educators who want to teach all the all the, their kids the wrong thing. Um, mm. uh, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Andy? Is 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 ultimately when we talk about promulgating ignorance to a younger generation? I mean, to me, there's a clear line between that and people who are very religious. And I, I'm not saying religion itself is bad, but there's a certain strain of religiosity which basically. Again, uh, it's like a Dunning-Kruger effect thing where they are so sure that they understand what God wants and that this is the right thing, and they will not listen to reason, and they will uh, then you know pass that on. And you know you can't you can't outlaw <laughs> you can't outlaw religion, and you know you can't outlaw Fox News. Uh, so I, I don't know. You know, these things exist. I mean, I, I think the internet is becoming a third leg to this, you know, spread of ignorance. Uh, you know, they're they're not really doing much about it because uh, too many people are being uh, outraged. But well, well uh, you 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 nailed it, right? So I want to I want to I want to bridge that over to Andy this way. If um, <clears throat> and I do want to get back to my kids are in Catholic school, and I I found something very interesting about surprised me about that. So I do want to mention that. But for you, Andy, um, do you think it's a, a lack of education? I mean, let's, I mean, I don't want to go down a, a rabbit's, you know, hole here, but come on masks. I mean, how do you, how do you get into, get to the point where people are denying the effectiveness of, of masks? Um, I think that education comes into play, but I think that it's deeper than that. I think it's a, it's that whole thing about my feelings are more important than facts. And whatever mm. your feelings are, whatever it is that, whether it's about God or whether it's about uh, something else, you know, the, the underlying feature when you go into conservative movements is there's always those conspiracy theories where you're basically saying, well, the media, the intellectual elite, and the government are all working together to, to tell you that you're wrong. And then when you say, you know, actually that's idiotic. Then they say, see, that proves my point. You, <laughs> you're telling me that I'm wrong. And, and that proves that my entire belief system is correct. And, and I think that that comes into play because there are plenty of smart people, plenty of pretty well educated people who have turned idiotic in terms of of this whole belief system i mean and i think mm-hmm. a lot of them really believe it sadly i don't know whether it's better if they don't believe it and they and they're going along with it or they mm-hmm. they believe it as well it's a, it's just it's rough you know I, this whole thing to me is the most puzzling thing with the masks because um you know i i believe most of the mask people 
uh, actually don't believe that COVID is a threat. They think it's a, what, 1% of the people die. No big deal, which, you know, is a math issue. But the other problem is that they they think that, you know, for the most part, it's just the flu anyway. So this is an overreaction and they don't want to play this game. So they don't mm. believe that COVID is a threat. And this is why they don't want to wear the mask. They want to, that's their point. And, you know, what what puzzles me the most is that one of the things about conservatism is that people who are conservative uh, are very tribal. And one of the reasons is they're very afraid of disease. So they want to be with their own kind because they don't want to mix with other people because they don't want to catch diseases from people they don't know. Hmm. So the fact that the number one issue right now is a disease and these people who are conservative don't want to wear masks because of this disease, I don't understand. <laughs> like the, the, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. So oh, I totally uh, there's, understand that. there's something, there's something really uh, uh, whack when you can actually disrupt their entire like psyche, which is to be afraid of disease and make them expose themselves to a disease because of some belief that they have. So it's it's really I mean I just I just find the whole thing baffling, but uh, you know they they don't they don't think that it's a threat and so they want you to know it's not a threat and in some weird way they're trying to prove it by not wearing masks and then there's also this strain of people who I guess they don't really want their jobs so they keep going out in public and getting filmed and then getting fired for the things that they're doing so it's just. I don't know what's what this is. I don't know if this is like a middle step between, you know, because one of the things, and I think I'm getting off course here, one of the things about mm-hmm. people who are racist or white supremacists is they do not like being called that. They hate it. They will deny it vociferously because they know that there are social and, you know, consequences or consequences with their job. And so they will not cop to that at all. And then, you know, there's a small group of people who are openly racist. And I don't know if this is these people who keep getting filmed doing stuff and then getting fired from their job. It's like, is this like a middle step now? Like, well, you know, there are it, the people who are trying to keep it on the down low and then the people who just can't hold it in. And then the people who are just open. It's like, this is, this seems no. to be happening now. I mean, I think there's a there's a piece here. It reminds me of the joke about the coach who keeps losing and the reporter asks him, you know, you've lost all these games. Is it ignorance or apathy? And he says, I don't know. And I don't care because, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's uh, what I've learned is you can be, you know, ignorant or you can be arrogant, but you got to choose one. You can't be both at the same time. And so I think that by reinforcing bubbles, there are people who can be inordinately confident about their wrong answer. And within their bubble, they're applauded. And when they step outside their bubble, it's a cold, dispassionate world that judges them. You know, and I think the woman in Central Park felt like she was doing exactly what she needed to do, you know, in calling, you know, the the cops and 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 lying about the black man that was not threatening her. Um and she felt self-righteous. And I've seen that self-righteousness come back over and over again. Um, you know, I think you see that with Nick Cannon, you know, and, and how he's responding. So, so, you know, Andy, I want to I want to bring this back. Is it is what we're seeing here a generational shift? You have baby boomers who are aging. You have the millennials who are rising. And it's it's a huge shift. Is this what it looks like when a culture shifts? Is that what the pain is? I definitely think so. I think that there's uh, the, the, you know, it's part of the change in terms of the dominance of white men uh, that's happening and they feel under threat uh, for, uh, for that. But I think that part of what's happening, part of the reason, going back to an earlier question as to why are so many uh, white people, um, believers in Black Lives Matter. It's not only that they saw things, but they know black, uh, black people much more than they used to. Things have changed so much in mm. regards to communities and 
and certainly in in the Northeast, the Midwest, um, and the West, uh, that's happened a lot more. It's a, it's very similar, I think, to to what happened with gay marriage, and you mm-hmm. saw uh, people switch over. I I always say this, and I'm sorry for repeating myself, but but uh, that modern family was a big force in yeah. in making gay marriage uh mm-hmm. acceptable and and because people knew gay people and people are more likely to know people of a different color uh than they used to the crazy places are the places where that doesn't happen and well, and you know and and I'm those sorry. are shrinking you know my i have a my my uncle um is white he married an african american woman from um brooklyn they have a biracial kid and they live in lynchburg virginia mm. That's an interesting experience. Yeah, I think you know that has changed in a way. You know, it's a, it's the culmination of thirty years of change, but it's really happened in the last uh, five to ten years that that things are that were not acceptable are acceptable, and there there is a certain amount of people who just feel similarly to Trump in that zero sum game. If if mm-hmm. other people if the lives of blacks or the lives of gays or or whomever is improving then my life is is decreasing in value to zero sum game yeah they must be taking from me so so i'm going to end on this I, I, I try and do this each time it's so what and now what so what that all of this is happening so what's what's the what's the result of all of this happening why does it matter hansen why does it matter that there's so much churn that all this kind of you know confluence of all these events is happening at the same time well just because it, it's coalesced into something that's in that seems to be enduring you know um so enduring that uh, you know trump has to uh now employ secret police you know like he's like uh uh you know allende or something and sending out you know goons and vans kidnapping citizens you know that that it's it's gotten to that point where uh you know, these, these protests are, you know, geez, it's the end of July and they're still going. So, you know, I, I think that this is going to keep going. I remember, however, as a caution, that uh, Occupy Wall Street lasted for a very, very long time. And basically, mm-hmm. in the end, I don't even know if a lot of people rem- even remember that happening. Sure. But hopefully yeah. this is, uh, you know, this is uh, a, a different thing, you know, and just the idea that now people mostly accept Black Lives Matter without yelling, mm-hmm. all lives matter. And then also that, you know, they uh, understand that there uh, are, uh, in, uh, you know, inequalities, that there's systemic racism, you know, that this mm-hmm. is, this is, this will be the enduring thing. You know, they're not going to forget that tomorrow just because, you know, of whatever they say on Fox News or whatever. So yeah. that, you know, and that, and also it's a generational thing. And, and I will say, you know, going to what Andy was saying, I don't know if you saw Hollywood on Netflix. No, I have not. Uh, oh, well, okay. So there's, it's sort of a spoiler, but essentially <laughs> it posits that, you know, the media is such an engine for change and that if the people making it only had the moral courage to, you know, do the right thing, that perhaps a lot of these changes would have happened a lot sooner than, Mm. than they eventually did. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, you look at the NFL now, they're now sort of basically encouraging the players to kneel before the games. A lot of the coaches, (laughs) You know, in the NFL, who who uh, both in college and in, in the pros, whose you know clear majority of players are African American, they, you know, th- th- you know they realize now if you're recruiting, you know, in in Alabama, you know, Nick Saban is going to embrace Black Lives Matter. He mm-hmm. needs to be in tune with his team. You know, he whereas. Needs to. Yeah, whereas the guy in Clemson, I don't know, maybe he's not going to get through recruiting class anymore because people are going to say Dabo Sweeney, you know, he's a jerk. And then the uh, the guy in the, was it 
I forgot the team, but he was wearing, uh, the coach was wearing uh, a t-shirt for, oh, uh, for the, uh, OAN news, you know, so yeah. clearly yep. he's basically advertising that he's a right winger and a white supremacist. Mm-hmm. So what kind of recruiting class is he going to get? But, you know, you go up and down and, you know, in many leagues where, you know, a lot of the players are majority African-American, you're going to, you're going to have to understand, you know, this is, this is your league and they are asking for this and you uh, are either going to have to acquiesce or you're going to have to see the light. And so that, that part is enduring. And, you know, Trump is trying to dare the NFL to, to kneel, but, you know, Roger Goodell basically said, uh, I'm sorry for what we did before it was wrong. And, yeah. you know, this is this is well, and I, I I don't want to take that. I want to take I want to take something as seismic as as a 180 from the NFL. I mean, they haven't given Kaepernick a shot. They haven't yet, um, but they're now I, actively trying to get him a job. They are. They are. Okay. Because so so and I know we could go on right forever. <laughs> I know. Okay, <laughs> but hold on. I'm trying to end this thing. You're not letting me end. Sure. Um, <laughs> we're at, we're in an hour. Um, and I, I'm doing the best I can. Um, but Andy, I want to end it on you because because Hanson just teed up the so what. He gave it to us. And then I, w- I want to put you on the spot for what's going to come next. Tell me what's going to happen, because I see two distinct roads here. And, you know, for things that you have to do for work, for the way that you live your life, you have to make a decision. So what do you think if we came back a year from now, what do you think will have happened? Well, I still want to hear the Catholic uh, school story, but um, you know, the uh, I think things are going to get worse, a lot worse, before they get better. Um, and I think that, you know, I do think that Trump is probably going to lose, and I think they're going to, you know, I th- I think that there will be a lot of losses, but that's just going to increase that polarization and that feeling of anger and grievance uh, mm. that they got cheated out of something. I mean, you, there are 12 candidates for Congress right now who are QAnon crazy. Mm. And and that's not an accident. And I think that, that it's going to get rougher. I think that that, you know, in in places like where we are, where we feel more enlightened than than everybody else it's going to be calm in terms of of how things are gelling between people here but i think it's going to be is still a much more us versus them than in those places that are so dominated by um a racist society and i think that i'm it's unfortunate but I don't think that's going away. Uh, okay. I mean, you know, uh, it's something it's something we had discussed, uh, you know, before that basically the, the Republican Party has turned into the white supremacist party. And uh, so the people still in the party, you know, they're just going to basically weed out the people who aren't. And eventually it's just they're. I don't know at what point they're going to be openly white nationalists. I don't know if Trump could be any more openly white nationalist. Uh, but this is, yeah, it's a, the Republican Party is going to be white nationalist. And I don't know, you know, they're, they have their strongholds. But, you know, you're seeing a lot of states, you know, that were red turn purple, purple turn blue. Uh, you know, Virginia is now kind of a blue state at, at this point it used to be a swing state for many years Colorado too and you know you're mm-hmm. you know Arizona starting to turn blue you know uh things are close in Texas I think that you know I'm, I'm hoping that they just keep shrinking down you know and and becoming more more tribal but the the always always the fear is that the Democratic Party will split and then all of a sudden they don't have a majority anymore. And so then it'll depend on the plurality. And that might really be, you know, a, a bad road to go down because, you know, I, I saw that happen. Well, I, I wasn't born yet, but, you know, that has happened before. You know, you can't get a coalition uh, to, to do the things. And, you know, there's a lot of inertia. 
And, you know, if, even if the Democrats come in controlling, you know, the, the Oval Office and, and both houses, uh, you know, the House and the Senate, and they don't get anything done, which is entirely possible, there's going to be a lot mm-hmm. of people who are not going to want to vote for the Democrats in the next midterms. And then all of a sudden things start falling apart. I mean, this is this is a, I think this has happened before. So uh, it, it's you know, I, I'm crossing my fingers, but these are the these are the kinds of things that uh, I'm afraid of. Uh, mm-hmm. Going into the future, because no, I mean, there's that, a lot of change that, that has to happen, and I don't know if it's you know everything moves at a glacial pace. Well, and I and I think that's kind of how I, how I want to. It's appropriate to end it there, because if you if you take this and you and you you know you put it in a you know a time capsule and we look back, it part of what history does is it shows you how people manage difficult times, and I can hear in you know, in all of our voices that we're at this weird inflection point and we're not sure what's, which way it's going to go. And we're not sure whether it's going to fracture or, or come together. And probably the three of us may be less optimistic about that. Um, so it might be, might be appropriate for us to get back together again and see how it went a few months down the road, maybe post-election, see what that looks like. Um, because I, I find that the, the back and forth with the two of you tends to get deeper into the issues than I have with other people. So I want to thank you both for, for being here. Um, so thanks, Andy, and, and thanks, Hanson. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Let's do it next week. All right, we'll come right back. Uh, so that's all That's all the time I have for uh, the Allies podcast. Uh, as, as always, if you have ways uh, that you think we can improve this or you have comments, um, please let us know. And uh, at the same time, if you... Uh, have suggestions of how to make this better, um, send them into us and pass it along. If you think it's interesting and you think other people might like to hear about it, um, we'd like to hear from them as well. So thank you. And, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.